ISIL. Thank you, Justin. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, so as a campus minister, one of the things that I really like to do is I like to share stories. I like to, to sort of let people into my world as a campus minister. And it's fun to tell stories and to share what college kids are like and what ministry to college students is like. Uh, one of the most common questions that I get and where I find myself sitting across from students at lunch tables and at coffee shop is, is kind of ultimately about how do I find God's will for my life? Uh, you know, what major should I choose or what major should I switch to? Uh, how do I know what, what, you know what major God wants me to do? Who should I date? Uh, who, when, when will I get married? Well, who should I get married to? Uh, what, what, you know, will I like my job? Where should I go next? What city should I live in? Or just sometimes straight up, hey, Nate, can you tell me how I can find God's will for my life? Uh, these are the things that, that I get asked on a pretty regularly basis, and this shouldn't surprise us. Christianity Today says that this question, how do I find God's will for my life, is the most asked question they've had ever. Uh, it's the most asked question of all time. But this question, has been, as has been pointed out by many, is a somewhat more recent and modern question. People have been examining, you know, entrails and secret tea leaves and looking for Jesus' face on toast for a long time, uh, but not necessarily the church. This is more recent. It's really in the last 100 to 120 years that we've been so fixed upon this question. The sermons of old don't spend a lot of time asking this question. And the reason, as has been pointed out by many pastors, is that we feel a really great sense of control for our own lives right? We feel more control than most people who have ever lived. Even though none of us chose to be born or chose our talents or our skills or our personalities or our parents or the country we've been born in or the time we've been born in still, or I mean, and so many other things about us, we still feel like we are in control. <laughs> uh, and so for Christians then, God becomes a wild card, right? For Christians, God becomes this wild card because he's the one who can ruin all of our control and all of our planning. So we learn and we study and we open up our Bibles trying to, to delve into the secrets to find God's will so that we can get control back of our lives so that we can have blessings. Because just like my students, we believe very deeply like we have tremendous power to destroy our lives or succeed in life, and therefore we must find God's will. And so with this question in mind, I want to turn to the Bible. I want to turn to, to Psalm 25. Uh, and this is a text that I've learned a lot from. Uh, I've learned a lot from many Reformed pastors talking about it and preaching about it. Um, and it's about a lot of things. Psalm 25 is about many things. But one theme that runs through it is that God guides. God guides His people. We learn that God does plan and He instructs His people and that He is shaping a people who are going to be guided by God, but He is the guide. People often want the plans of God to get the blessings of God, but they don't want the guide. In our sin, we also don't want to have our hearts shaped and changed uh, to be the type of people who walk with God. In our sin, we don't want to be shaped. We, don't want, we already don't do what God says, but we want His blessings anyways without actually having to follow Him. David is going to show us that as the people of God, we deeply desire the guide, and that the heart of those being guided by God is one of faith and repentance and covenant faithfulness. 
So today we're going to see two things from our text, two things. The first is that God guides His people. And the second thing we're going to talk about or rather look at is what, what do the hearts, what, do the, what are the types of people, what, are the, what is the heart and lifestyle of those who get guided by God look like? So those are the two things. So the first we're going to see is that God guides His people. Now, as I said, Psalm 25 is a psalm of lament, where David is lamenting his enemies, he is lamenting his own sins, and he is lamenting and is sad about uh, the circumstances that he's in, and so he is seeking God's guidance so to, to, to get out and to be rescued in these times of trouble. And so, the power and the purpose of the psalms is that the people of God would sing these psalms for, for hundreds of years after, which we've been doing, after they've been written, and thus we would be shaped together by its teaching. I had a, a professor in seminary who always said the Psalms are the hymn book of Israel, meaning that, that we sing these together, and as we sing these together, God shapes our hearts and our minds together. And that's why the Psalms and the music we sing at church is just so important. It's because this is how God is collectively shaping us as His one singular people. And so as we sing these words together, we learn the theology. We learn how to emotionally respond to life. We learn so many things. And so the Psalms have tremendous power to shape us and to make our hearts more like the Lord's. So as we look at this Psalm, I want to start by looking at verse 12. David says uh, in verse 12, he says, Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. What David is pointing out here is that those who fear God from the heart are those who are going to be guided by God. Fear here does actually mean fear, but it means more than that. It also means respect and awe and worship. It's a heart that, that, that fears God because He has tremendous power, but also it's one that respects Him and worships Him and is in awe of His beauty and splendor. And it's this heart that Christians have that actually understand the God of the Bible, because He is the God of justice and power and splendor and holiness and transcendence, as well as soft and kind and approachable, like a mother hen who, who is wanting to gather her chicks, and as Jesus, who is a man who wept and was acquainted with grief and sorrow. And this person who, whose heart fears this God is the one we learn in the Bible that God guides. This is good news, as we learn in this psalm, as well as the rest of the Bible, that God does have a plan. He's the author of our story. He's the author of the story that is unfolding in this universe. He is intimately involved in our lives. And Paul says to us that we who have been saved by grace, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them, which means God has not only made us, but He's also made our path, He's given us a purpose, and He is walking with us that we would fulfill it, which is very, very different than YOLO, uh, which, by the way, is sort of the, the, battle, the battle cry and the anthem of Gen Z and millennials like us, like me, uh, right? YOLO, you only live once. Uh, you know, there's a lot of serious stuff in the world, but who cares? We're all going to die anyway, so let's have as much fun as possible. Uh, it's also different than the sort of scientific narrative, right, that we're just random chances sort of our existence was random, our lives are random, and suffering and blessings are just pure luck. We exist only to, to pass on our genes and survive. The Bible says we're God-made and that we are God-designed, 
The Bible also says that our lives are God-designed and shaped, and that He is guiding us along the path with a purpose, with good works, which He prepared before we were even born that we would walk in them. Uh, when I was a kid uh, in middle school, my friends and I would stay up really late, like two or three in the morning, and that's when the really weird commercials came on TV. And uh, there was this one that, was, that always came on with like a Jamaican accent. It was awesome. We would impersonate it forever. Uh, but she, was, she would say, this girl named Cleo, she would say, call now for your free tarot reading. And you could call this number, and for only 29 cents a minute, these people would tell you your best future and tell you what choices to make. They would give you instant guidance. And so customers would say things like, man, after talking to Cleo, you know, she said things that no one could ever know about me, and I had all these people that I was thinking about marrying, and she told me which one to choose, and now I'm the happiest I've ever been. And this other guy would come on and be like, you know, I had all these jobs that I was going to choose, and I didn't know which one to do, and Cleo told me what to choose, and now I'm rich, and he throws money in the air, and like, you know, uh, it, it was crazy. Uh, and now I'm living my dream. But, but here's the thing. For some of us, this is exactly what we want from God. For some of us, this is why we became Christians. God, I, I just want you to give me the best possible life and to fix all these things, and I don't know what to do, so give me guidance. We want shortcuts. We want security. We want guarantees. What we want is God's guidance, but we don't want the guide. But God doesn't give you the map to your life. He gives you himself. He gives you the guide. J.I. Packer, in a book, put it this way. He said, imagine for a second that you get into a city and you're trying to find a place, but you're lost. What do you do? And before you cheat and say Google Maps, he wrote this before that time. So, uh, you know, he said, what would you do? Well, he said, you'd have to find somebody. You'd have to roll down your window, probably, you know, like this. Uh, and you'd have to look outside and be like, hey, you over there, uh, how do I get to where I'm going? You know, I'm trying to get to the old sawmill. How do I get there? And the person looks at you and says, you know, what's a sawmill? But no, um, the person looks at you and says, okay, uh, but it's basically impossible for me to just tell you. You'll never remember. It's too complicated. So here, let me draw you a map. And after drawing this incredibly confusing map, you both look at each other and he says, you know what? This ain't going to work either. I'm going that way anyways. Why don't I just hop into your car and tell you how to get there? So he gets in, and now instead of getting the map, what you're getting is the guide, which is way better. Think about it. With the guide, you're still only getting your directions in small sections. You know, turn right here. Take a left here. Why were you going so fast? Now we have to turn around there. You don't know where you're going, but you know that the guide does. And he'll lead you to where you're needing to go because he knows where they're going. And if you screw up, he knows this place so well that he can also bring you back on track. But you'll still have to be patient, and you'll still have to trust the guide. In the same way, God doesn't give us the map of our lives. He doesn't have a secret will that we can only find if we're super spiritual. You don't need the whole map for your life. You wouldn't get the map if you saw it, and you probably wouldn't like it if he gave it to you. Could you imagine for a second if God gave you the whole map to your life? All right, God, I'm going to need a lot more money from the ages of 18 to 24. Also, from the ages of 35 to 44, I'm going to need a lot less suffering. And when I get to 75, please, uh, all this knee pain you've got in here, please take that away, right? If, 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 we, if you could actually just get rid of all the suffering, God, and give me a new map, uh, that's what I would actually prefer. That's what we would be like. But God doesn't give you the map to your life. He gives you himself. 
And guidance is not something you find. Guidance is something that God does. He directs our steps. He makes our path straight. He walks with us. Guidance is not something God gives. Guidance is something that God does. So the Bible doesn't teach you how to find God's secret will. It doesn't tell you how to become spiritual enough so you can find the secret plan. Instead, it teaches what a person looks like who is guided. And until you get this, we'll be looking for signs and visions and dreams which are just not normal. They just don't normally come. So what then is a person look like who gets God's guidance? There are four things from this text that I want to talk about that we'll see are true of the people that God guides. And the first uh, is in verse 4. Look with me at verse 4 and 5. He says this, David, praise to God. He says, God, make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all the day long. Now, what is this verse telling us here? It's telling us that a person who gets God's guidance is a person who knows and is saturated in the Scriptures. The person who gets guided by God is a person who knows and is saturated in the Scriptures. This will be a person who knows God's commands, His laws, and His Word inside and out. Why? Because that's where God's will is. That's where God's will is. In, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says um, the purpose of the Bible, or what, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what we are to believe concerning God and what duties God requires of man. If you want to know God's will, you need to know the Bible. So David says, in order, you know, to be, if I want to be guided by God, I first need God to teach me all of His ways, which we believe is in the Scriptures. In other words, the people who get guided by God are people who spend so much time in the Bible that they get transformed by it. Or as Hebrews 13 says, we get our hearts rewritten, our faculties, our decision-making. All of that gets rewritten by His Word so that the decisions we make and the person we become is a person who delights and walks in God's ways. Now, I know what some of us are thinking. Maybe you're not, but maybe you are. Uh, And that is, that's not what I want to hear. Uh, you know, I've tried reading the Bible a few times, and I couldn't find God's will for my life. I needed actually direction now and inspiration now, and the thought of spending so much time in the Bible that it rewrites me, and spending so much in the time in the Bible that it, that it literally transforms me, it sounds like hard work, and it is. I remember before I moved to China, I'd never studied Chinese, and I arrived there, and when I first got there, I didn't understand, and I couldn't tell when a word started and when a word ended. It all just sounded like giant sounds to me, like just big sounds, and I was like, what is happening? Uh, Then they would stop talking, and I would be like, I didn't get any of those words. Uh, I couldn't distinguish anything. Well, what if my plan was this? What if my plan was to buy a Chinese dictionary, study for five minutes every morning, just hoping for a little inspiration with some coffee probably, pray over it, and then go out there and think, all right, it's time to share the gospel, talk rental contracts, uh, you know, order food, and do all those things. Would that work? No, it would not work. But so many people think if I just read my Bible for five minutes, let alone a day, maybe a month, maybe a week, if I just pray, if I just read this for five minutes, pray for some inspiration, I'll be fine. But is that enough? you have to be saturated in the Scriptures. You have to know it so deeply that it reforms your brain. 
that it teaches you and gives you a biblical worldview, which is one of the goals of RUF, is to teach students so that their, their worldview and the way that they see life and the way that they see being a Christian is so shaped by the Scriptures that as they live their lives, they are, they are being guided by God and doing as if He was them. If you want to be guided by God, the first thing is we have to be saturated in God's Word. Teach me your ways, He says. Show me your paths. Guide me into your truth. But second thing you'll notice in our text is that David spends a lot of time uh, confessing his sin. He spends a lot of time confessing his sin. Why? Because in verse 9, he says this, David says, he, which is God, God guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his ways. And humility here means being teachable. It means being compliant. It means respecting God. And what this means is that the people of God who get God's guidance are people who are teachable and people who are willing to obey. They understand they're not perfect, just like David does, which is why he's confessing again and again and again. But when he makes mistakes and when the people of God make mistakes, they're adamant to change and to re-follow God. Uh, This makes me think of the story of Naaman in the Bible. Uh, Naaman was a Syrian general, uh, and Naaman gets leprosy. And he ends up coming to Israel to be healed. And the reason he ends up in Israel is because he's treated kindly by an Israelite slave girl. That's her name in the Bible. She's just an Israelite slave girl. That she's his slave almost certainly means that this man has killed her family and taken her to be his slave. But because she's been humbled by the Bible, because she's been humbled by God, because there's humility in her heart, she still chooses to follow God's command, even to her enemy, even to the person that has most likely killed her family and enslaved her. And because of what she does, Naaman is both healed from his leprosy, but ultimately is converted and follows the Lord and is a blessing to the Lord in his own nation of Syria. Humility is, not, is concerned not only with knowing God's word and his will, but being the type of people who actually do it. If we are so concerned about our decisions, yet we know we have places in our lives that are constantly suck, stuck in sin, right? Maybe you're selfish. Maybe you're, you're never generous. Maybe we, we lie to people all the time. They're little lies, but we lie. Or maybe we're just constantly lazy. If I'm disobedient with other parts of my life, and yet I want to know God's will for me, I can tell you, it is first to repent. It's to repent of the things you do know, to be the type of person that obeys, You're not in God's will already. I can tell you what God's will is for your life, that you would be humble, that you would begin to obey the things you know, because He he doesn't just want us to be the type of people who know His Word. He wants us to be the type of people who do it, to be teachable, to be humble. We all want to know God's works and His plan for our lives, but the way that we'll actually know it and benefit from His guidance is if we're the type of people who are willing to submit and to obey and be humble and do what God says. The third thing we see is in verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. It says this. It says, all the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his testimonies. What God is essentially saying here is the same thing that he says in Romans 8.28, which in Romans 8.28 says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. And what this means is that we should not have such a small and narrow view of God that we think that somehow God's plan for us 
is such that we have five or six really big decisions in life that we need to make and do, and if we don't get any, one of those right, our life is ruined. Like marry the right person, or go to the right school, or pick the right college, or pick the right career, or move, move to a certain city, and if we get one of those or any of those wrong, our life is ruined. We shouldn't have this view. A lot of people feel that God's plan for their lives is like a flight that has six connecting stops along the way, and if we miss one connection, uh, you're never going to get to your dream vacation, right? If I miss one, now I'm on God's plan B. And if I miss another big decision, now I'm on God's plan C. And each one gets worse and worse and worse. But the Bible teaches us that everything we do, even our mistakes, even our failures, are part of God accomplishing His will and His purposes in this world. Do you hear that? Even our failures and our sins and our inadequacies are things that God uses to shape us and sanctify us, but also to accomplish His mission and His will in this world. Which means it's going to be okay. Which means we can rest which means we can, we can sort of rest from the paralyzing anxiety about crushing our futures and ruining our lives, which is why we're always asking this question. If you remember the story of Jacob, God says that the older will serve the younger, and that ultimately, right, he makes this promise to, to Abraham, and, that the, and then we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we get to Jacob's life, and he's like the promised seed, right? He's the, the one that, that, you know, all the blessings of Abraham are going to come through. And then Jacob lies, and he cheats, and he does all these terrible things, and for the most part, he has a really hard life because of his sin. And yet, when he's out there, he ends up meeting his wife, and from his wife would come Judah, and from Judah would ultimately come the Messiah, Now, was that God's plan B? Of course not. Does it make his sin okay? Of course not. But God was still at work, and his plan still unfolded despite Jacob's sin and failures. Now, think through this with me for a second, right? What if you married the wrong person? Then you're having all the wrong children, and if all their children will also be all the wrong children, and all their jobs and all their contributions to the world will also be the wrong jobs and the wrong contributions. You mean you're taking other people's jobs, right? Like, how did those people even get here? Their lives are screwed up forever, and they shouldn't be here. And now it's God up in heaven scratching his head saying, well, what, how did these people get here, and what do I do with them now? No. <laughs> He's the author. He's the author of the story. And all the ways, all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to his covenant people. Meaning if you're in Christ, you can't screw up your life, at least not the way you think you can. It's impossible for those who are in Christ to screw up their life. He's too great for that. He loves you too much, which means the third thing is we get to relax and trust God as life unfolds. We rest in His guidance and we rest in His power, which is good news for the weary and the tired, the afraid and the anxious. The last thing I want to show you is from verse 14. It says this. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And to Him, to them, He makes known His covenant. Now, if you have your ESV Bible out, there's probably a little footnote by the word friendship that says, The secret counsel, right? So the friendship of the Lord or for the secret counsel of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And what this verse is pointing out, what this verse is getting at, is for those who fear the Lord. For those who depend on God, who know His Word, 
who obey His Word, who strive after Him and pursue whatever gives God glory, if you're doing these things, you can trust your heart. Because with renewed hearts, we can choose the things and make decisions about life that we just simply want to. Meaning that when I know God's Word and I'm abiding in Him and filled with His Spirit and repenting of sin and walking with Him, I can just simply ask, what is it that I want to do? Trusting that God has shaped you and led you and placed even the desires in your own heart inside of you, right? We are becoming the type of people who loves what God loves and hate what God hates. And so as I, as these, as I fear the Lord, I can simply trust my decisions, now, when I first became a Christian, people would always say, if you want to know God's will for your life, you've got to pray and pray and pray and pray and read the Bible and then come and tell us God's will. And so what I did is I would, you know, I'd do this and I would come out and be like, all right, you guys, this is what I'm going to do. Everybody, God has told me to do this. And then three days later, I would come back and I'd say, just kidding. Turns out God had told me to do this. And then three days later, I'd come back again and be like, just kidding. Again, also, plan C, God has actually told me to do this. But let us be very, very careful in doing this, lest we divine things that God has not. But what is taught in Scripture is that God does lead and shape people to walk in His way so that we can simply at times just do what we think is best. This seems like a good college. This seems like a person who truly loves Jesus. Maybe I'll marry that person. (laughs) This seems like a really good idea, a way to move my family. This seems like a good city. Then go and do it. When we think about decision-making then and we think about it biblically, we ask first, is this talked about in Scripture? Is it forbidden? Don't do it. Is it something that is commanded? You should probably do it. Then ask, am I willing to obey? And then we ask, God, will this bring you glory? And finally, after we've thought through these things, then we ask, what do I think is best? And then we simply faithfully walk and do what we believe God is guiding us into. Pastor Kevin DeYoung wrote a book, and the title of his book is this. It's called Just Do Something, A Liberating Approach to the Christian Life. But then he has a subtitle that says, or how to make decisions as a Christian, right? How to make decisions without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, open doors, random Bible verses, right? Which is where you like open up, God, I don't know what to do with my life. So you open up your Bible, you put your finger down, all right, it says Isaac's the son of laughter, so I probably need to laugh more, right? Like it's not that, not random Bible verses, not casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, Jesus' face on toast, etc. No, God, God's secret counsel is for those who fear Him, meaning that when we love God from the heart, when we're obeying Him, when we're doing the things that God is commanding in the Scriptures, we just simply live our life in the way that we think is best, and we become the type of people who do God's will not become spiritual enough to find it, as if it's secret. It's not. God is not trying to to hide secret will for you. That's not what the Bible teaches. As I studied this psalm, uh, I read a quote by Charles Spurgeon, and he said this. He said, look at verse 12. It asks the question, who is the one who fears the Lord? And Spurgeon said, most people read this, but we don't actually ask the question. And because we don't ask the question, we think that this psalm is ultimately about us. We think, I'm the one who fears the Lord. But Spurgeon said, we're not. There are times, sometimes months, sometimes years, when we fear everything else but the Lord. It's Jesus who actually is the one who perfectly fears the Lord in the Scriptures. And this psalm shapes us to be the type of people who trust and walk with Him. 
You see, Jesus is the one who arrives on earth and made the invisible God visible. He is our perfect example, and He is the ultimate God who shows us exactly what it looks like to be guided by God. He's God's Word made flesh. He is the one who was perfectly guided by God, and every word and every deed that came from His mouth and His life came from the Father. But Jesus was guided by the Father to his death, to his crucifixion, to pay the punishment and wrath for our sins so that we could be guided by the Father, not to our deaths, but into life. He was the one who feared the Lord perfectly, and yet he was struck down. But in being struck down, he was struck down so that we would not be. And now we who in Christ fear the Lord are not afraid of being struck down, but we know our sins are forgiven. The Bible, this, this passage says that God leads sinners in the way, and we who are in Christ are those who are being guided into the way, for He has written the Scriptures on our very hearts, which is what was promised in Jeremiah. We are the covenant breakers, but God is faithful and has rescued us and has shown us an incredible covenant faithfulness despite our sin, despite our, our desire to go the other way. He's rescued us and brought us back. Because of Jesus, we are no longer rebels, but the ones who are being guided by God because He's become our friend and has given us His Spirit. Because of Jesus, we've been transformed and rewired by the Word of God that it's written on our hearts so that that the thing that God desires from us becomes the very thing we delight and want to do. We are the ones who've been humbled by grace and mercy. We're the ones because of Jesus, who rest because we know that all the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful to those who obey and are His covenant people because Jesus took the curse for us. Because of Jesus, we are the people who know God. We haven't just read about Him, but we trust Him in our own hearts for everything because He is the God of our salvation. Therefore, we trust Him and choose to ask, what will glorify the Lord? And then we make our decisions. Because of Jesus, God is our guide. He is our friend. We know Him, and we know that He will instruct us as we walk in faith. God is our Lord. He is our guide, and He instructs us in the way. Walk with Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this good news, Lord, that You care for us, that You want to walk with us, that You are shaping us to be the type of people, Lord, who are being guided that you've shaped us to be the type of people, Lord, who love your word, who love your commands, who love your law, and who take great joy in walking with you. Lord, I pray that as we come to this table, we would be guided once again to feast and to celebrate and be nourished by your body and by your blood. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the